KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Joe Morgenstern, the film critic of The Wall Street Journal. The Cheshire Cat brags about his evaporating skills in Tim Burton's 3D Alice in Wonderland, but the movie has its own way of evaporating before your polarized eyes. Every scene brings something new and remarkable to look at, yet every scene sweeps away specific recollections of the previous one. Looked at through one lens, that's a tribute to the immediacy of the images. Looked at through another, though, it's a signal that Burton and his colleagues, like so many filmmakers before them, were flummoxed by the Lewis Carroll conundrum. Not the one about why a raven is like a writing desk, but why that peerless author's enchanting prose should be so resistant to dramatization. Of course, drama isn't what the target audience will be coming for. Both Burton and Disney are global brands, better known than Lewis Carroll these days, and the merchandise they've manufactured fulfills two sets of expectations. It's more gothic than Victorian and slightly tinctured with danger, but it's fully equipped with the sort of exuberant action that sits well in movie theaters and better still in the great theme park hereafter. The heroine is played very nicely by the Australian actress Mia Wasikowska. This new Alice at the ripe young age of 19 is returning to the magical world of her childhood so she knows it's all a dream. Yet she's much less sophisticated than she thinks. Dream or not, Alice is caught up in a power struggle that's raging between the forces of Helena Bonham Carter's Red Queen and Anne Hathaway's White Queen. And the poor girl's most reliable guide is the Mad Hatter, who's played by Johnny Depp. As you might expect, Depp's mincing, flouncing Hatter bears more than a passing resemblance to Jack Sparrow, though his faint lisp and gap-toothed grin also suggest Boris Karloff doing Humphrey Bogart. He's very funny in mildly funny surroundings, but there's nothing mild about Bonham Carter's Red Queen. She's quick and fierce with Cupid bow lips, a Betty Davis forehead, and a huge cranium atop a tiny body. She gets a big laugh every time she howls off with her head, and she stops the show every time she's on screen. As the White Queen, Anne Hathaway doesn't have much to do but look pretty and vaguely abstracted, like a woman wandering around a beauty parlor while she waits for her nails to dry. A succession of chases and combats closer to Dungeons and Dragons than to Lewis Carroll leads to a peculiarly abrupt climax. The 3D effects are enjoyable, but the added depth can't make up for deficits in the concept or the plot. Basically, the concept is earnest, bordering on banal a coming-of-age story in which Alice takes therapeutic refuge in her fantasies and comes out a stronger person. As for the plot or lack of it, the filmmakers can only be blamed up to a point. They haven't solved the Lewis Carroll conundrum, haven't cracked the structural code, because Carroll's discursive masterworks don't have much structure to begin with and they can only be dramatized up to a point even though their imagery is endlessly tantalizing. The essence of the two books isn't pictures at all, John Tenniel's illustrations notwithstanding. It's the scintillating interplay of language and logic, satiric wit and sublime silliness. For those who've tried to capture the books on screen, and for those who will try in the future, it's a case of read them and weep.
I'm Joe Morgenstern, and I'll be back on KCRW next week with more reviews. KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.